0: About a special man, uh, his name was Jairus. And I woke up this morning, I had a whole other message planned. Plan. You know how that goes? You know, you can look online to these, you know, how to prepare a message and how, you know, how, how to be, how to have your notes all together. And, you know, there are these people out there that, you know, Monday you do this and Tuesday you do this with your message. And Wednesday, and then Sunday morning, God changes the whole thing. Yep. God's like, well, that was good on Monday. Yep. But this is Sunday, and war- there's been a lot of warfare. Things are happening in people's lives. And I want you to talk about this. So I woke up, and I thought, okay. So I just kind of, you know, that's why I don't use paper anymore. You can just hit the delete button. It's just saving paper. And I just started over. I just started thinking about this dad, Jairus. And I don't know. I mean, I've never really preached on Jairus, but I wanted to... Look at his life here this morning. Turn with me to Mark chapter 5. And this is Father's Day. and I'm not a dad, but I think in some ways I am. Um, maybe someday we, I will be a dad. You never know, right? Abraham was a dad when he was 99. I hope it doesn't... I don't have to wait that long. <laughs> Pray for that. Mark chapter, Mark chapter 5. And Jairus was just an amazing person. Let's pray. Father, bless this message. For your namesake, Lord, that you would just build us all up. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Mark chapter 5, and I want to look at verse 21. This is a stunning story. And I I read this this morning, and I saw several things I've never seen before and never have I heard preached on. So I'm excited about this message. Now, when Jesus in verse 21 crossed over by boat... To the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. So here's Jesus crossing over. He's just finished something. He's cast out a demoniac. He's cast out. He's done some miracles. Book of Mark. Remember who John Mark was who wrote this? John Mark, during the time of Jesus, was probably a teenager. He was a disciple, but he was probably very young. Later on, we see that... um, uh, he doesn't make it on the mission field. He goes with Paul on the mission field, and, he's, and he doesn't make it. He's just too young, and he's just not. He's just he's not able to survive Paul's leadership style. So he goes home. Peter, the apostle Peter, takes John Mark and says, "Look, I'm gonna you hang you hang with me." And Peter began to disciple him. You know, and sometimes when you see this happen in the kingdom of God. Uh, it's not the end and so john peter begins to disciple john mark and john mark becomes a very mature young man and then and then at then at one point he's he's ordained by god to write the epistle mark but we know and a lot of commentators uh, insinuate this that it was really peter the apostle peter speaking to mark about all of these things and so indirectly the Book of Mark is kind of a an is like a an epistle or like a like a, a one of the gospels uh, written by Peter through John, and so an interesting thought here, and you can see Peter's vibrant, spontaneous, powerful, um, lively vocabulary coming through in the Book of Mark, because you see words like astonishment and immediately and. And uh, everyone was, was amazed. And so we see here that Jesus is coming across the water, and he meets all of these people by the sea. And there's a whole multitude of people. Now, think of the times in Israel at that time, it was, there was a lot of poverty at this time of, where Christ was in Jerusalem. There was a lot of tension because of the political abuse and the, the political overbearing situation by the Roman Empire. They were pressing down on the Jewish people. There was a lot of pressure. And also we noticed there was a lot of demonic activity. We see a lot of demonic activity in Israel at that time. We're starting to see this again in the world today. More and more we see reports of just crazy demonic um, incidences on the media. And so Jesus crosses over again by a boat to the other side. A great multitude gathered to meet him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus, by name. Now, who is Jairus? I did some research this morning. Who is Jairus? Well, first of all, his name, Jairus, means the one that Jehovah or Yahweh enlightens. That's what Jairus means, the man that God enlightens. And so immediately we we are um, interested here, we're stirred in interest about who this man Jairus is. And he's a ruler of the synagogue. Now, to me, I don't know what that means. <laughs> I'm a Gentile, i an American, I'm not from that part of Israel. I don't know what a ruler of the synagogue means. When I read ruler of the synagogue, I'm thinking, okay, oh, he must have been a priest. Must have been one of these Pharisees or something, or one of these religious guys. But when you look at the word here, the ruler of the synagogue was just, it was just, he was a lay person. He was a guy that worked in the synagogue that place of teaching and meeting where the Jews met for their services their meetings he worked there as just a servant he he's kind of like a Carl Miner or a Don Miller or or a Wesley Benoit or just a, he wasn't a preacher but he was a guy that just ministered and served in the in the synagogue in the building he was a guy that just kind of had authority there he had some kind of you know administrative Responsibilities and he was just serving. And so just imagine a, a guy like that, Jairus, whom the Lord has enlightened. And he saw him and when and I, I kind of see this that here's Jairus at the, waiting for Jesus to come across the water. And he's there with that multitude of people. He's just there waiting. He's got a pressing, pressing, dire issue. And when he saw him in verse 22, the second part, he fell at his feet. He fell down at his feet. And he begged him earnestly. I'm reading the New King James Version here. He begged him earnestly saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and that she may live. Can't you hear the father's heart Amen. coming out of this man? Here's a dad. Imagine this, imagine this from the point of, spe- point of view as, as a dad. Here's a dad whose daughter is at the point of death. What that says here in the original is exactly what it says in the English. She was just, she was ready to go over the edge. She was at the end. She was about ready to die. And so here's a, here's a dad frantically runs to Jesus, falls at his feet, and earnestly begs him, please, please come to my house, my daughter, my little daughter. He says, my little daughter. And you can hear the, the endearment here from a, from a father's perspective. My little daughter. I mean, if you're met. If your father is here today and you have a little daughter, I think you can really identify with him. And not even, even if you don't have a, a daughter, I think you can identify as having a child. And so Jesus, and so this is what he says. He says, come lay hands on her that she may be healed and live. I just think that God today wants to do miracles in dad's lives. I think many times dads may look at themselves as, I'm not really spiritual like my wife is. She's the spiritual one in the family. She's the one that's always got the Bible, reading the Bible. She's the one that's always talking to people about God. I'm just the guy that goes to work, <laughs> brings home the bacon. I pay the bills. I'm just dad, you know. I'm not anything really great. And I think that his, his, his request was simple. He said, I just wanted her healed. And I want her to live her life. She's so young. I want her to live her life. I want her to grow up and go to school. I want her to meet the man of her dreams. And I want her to to grow as a mother and and grow as a wife and to live her life. I think every dad would want their child to be healed and live. And I think as a dad, to see your child suffer, that must be very hard. There must be, I don't know if there's anything anything harder for a dad to go through than to see their child suffer i don't know i mean you can tell me that if i'm correct or not to see their child suffer and here's this young girl this little girl we we learn later that she's 12 years old and she's laying in her bed and she's about to die and here he here he is desperately running to find jesus to have her healed and to live a very simple request that this man that this father has to Jesus. And so Jesus in verse 24 went with him. I love that. Jesus just went with him. Isn't Jesus simple? Amen. He just went with him. Just it wasn't there was no <laughs> there was no discussion. Well, what is she sick with? Well, how did she get sick? Well, if you were a good dad, she wouldn't be sick. Well, if this was going on, this wouldn't be happening. Jesus said, I'm just going to go with you. I love that. Don't you love how Jesus never qualifies a person before a miracle happens, Jesus is just Jesus and he heals because it's the father heart of God. And so Jesus goes with him, and a great multitude followed and thronged him. Imagine that. Here's Jesus starts moving. Great multitude, probably thousands of people. The dad, Jairus, and Jesus are walking to the house. Big throng of people, crowds of people just following. And in verse 25, we see just a very interesting event happen, and I never saw this until this morning. We read in verse 25, now a certain woman had a hemorrhaging of blood for 12 years. Another number 12 here. So as they're walking, this woman, we know the story, the woman, it seems like a whole nother thing's happening here. A woman comes in, touches Jesus' hem of his garment, and she's healed. And this healing happens, and she's, and there's this whole discussion, and I, I'm just trying to put my place in the the, you know, I'm putting, trying to put my place in the father's position, where this woman comes. You know, she's not at the point of death. You know, she's actually kind of a, a castaway in society. I work in the church. I work in the church. I'm, I'm an administrator. I do some. I do this in the synagogue, and, and so Jesus stops. Jesus stops, and has this interaction with this woman on the way to Jairus's house. And I'm sure that Jairus is thinking, "Well, you know what." This is just great, you know. My daughter's about to die, and then Jesus stops because there's a need here. You know, there's a need in the ministry, and it seems like my kid's coming second. You know, sometimes as as parents, things will happen in in the ministry, and it seems like God is answering everybody else's prayer except for mine and for my kid. (laughs) That's not the case here. What we see happen here is that Jesus does not, and I want to make this point here. This is an important point is that the miracles of Jesus Christ are never prioritized in some kind of order outside of the chronological events that are happening. For example, Jesus is not going to do a miracle in someone's life too soon or too late. There's an order to things. And Jesus is on his way to Jairus' house to heal his his daughter. That's going to happen. But along the way, something else is going to happen. And this is very important that Jairus sees this woman get healed. Because what does he say? Jesus heals the woman. And what does he say in verse 30, 34? Important word here. Daughter. Listen to what he said. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Daughter. Who is Jesus to say daughter? This is not, or this is not his daughter. But it's a, it's a daughter of faith. It's like daughter, you, your faith has made you whole. Jesus allowed this to happen because he understood that Jairus' faith was going to be built up by seeing this and that he would need this experience to understand and to go through what he was going to go through at his house. What was going to happen next? Because Jairus had no capacity for what was going to happen next. That can happen in our lives. Sometimes we can be about the Father's business. I think dads, especially dads that are in the ministry, You know, sometimes you can see everything. God's answering everybody's prayers, but what about my kid? You know, my kid is suffering and he he needs to be, she needs to be healed. And I want him to, I want her to live. And we can see, we can kind of sometimes as parents feel the pain of seeing God do things, but not in our order of priority. And we're like, God, what about me? You know, I am serving in the synagogue. I'm a lay person. This woman is a cast out she's she has this hemorrhaging of blood which is gross and this whole thing is gross and what's happening here and so Jesus heals this woman go in peace and be healed of your affliction and in verse 35 look at verse 35 while he was still speaking as Jesus is saying these words in verse 34 some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said your daughter is dead why trouble the teacher any further she's gone Jairus I so, I got some bad news for you. You know, it, 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 while you were gone getting Jesus your daughter died. It, it, don't you know, there's no need to bother this busy man. He's so famous, he's so important. You know, he's such a he's such an amazing teacher. Don't bother him anymore. She's gone. And Jairus, you know, as a dad, I can't imagine, you know, uh, maybe there are fa- there are fathers that have experienced the death of a loved child. And that must be incredible to go through. And this is happening to Jairus at that moment. Jairus as a dad is going through the passing or the death of his daughter. As Jesus is healing someone else, daughter, your faith has made you whole, you know, go in peace, you'll be no longer afflicted. Great. And my daughter just died. So I think at this moment, Jairus, which means whom the Lord has enlightened, is at a place in his faith as a father, as a believer. Now, Jairus was a believer. He was a believer in Jesus Christ. I believe he was born again. Because he knew who to go to. And so he, he says, he hears the words that your daughter is, die- is dead. In verse 35, don't trouble the teacher any further. And in verse 36, it says this. As soon as Jesus heard that, as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, one translation says he ignored it. It says that one translation says that he ignored what was said. He ignored the words that were just said, Jairus, your daughter, is dead. As soon as he had heard this thing that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Jairus, do not be afraid, only believe. Those are words I want to give to you dads today, to all of us. I just want to say today, do not be afraid. Just believe. This is in the present tense, which means don't be terrified by circumstances that you're finding yourself in. The Greek here says, but continue believing. Jesus is saying to Jairus, Jairus, you're believing. You're trusting me for your child. You're trusting me for your family. You're trusting me for your job. You're trusting me for your ministry. You're trusting me for your relationships. And you're trusting me for yourself. And he says to Jairus, Jairus, continue to do that. Just continue to trust God. You've met me at the shore. You've told me. We're on on our way to your house. Don't stop believing now. Because sometimes in our faith, we can see God begins to move. He begins to move in our direction. And then something crushing can happen. And we can just say, that's it. I'm throwing in a towel. And I'm not going to believe anymore. But Jesus says, Jesus knows his mind. Jesus knows what's going on in Jairus' heart. And that must have been amazing about Christ. That you could be around a man that knew exactly what was going on in your heart. We need those kind of people today, don't we? We need people that can hear from God that knows what's happening in people's hearts because of love and because of the shepherdship heart of God. And he says, do not be afraid, only believe. Take that this morning, guys. Just take that and say, you know what? Maybe you're a great grandfather. Maybe you're you're really, maybe you're disturbed about family circumstances. I think as the years go on, one thing I'm noticing is as years go. We become more and more concerned and disturbed about things, don't we? We're like, whoa, what's happening? I mean, what's happening in this new generation? And these are the people that are going to be running the world in 20 years? I mean, (laughs) God says, do not be afraid, but continue to trust me. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James in verse 37. This is what Jesus does. I love this. Jesus takes a select group of people because Jesus is not going to be taking people with him that are just living in unbelief, that are, that are just producing an atmosphere of negativity and not an, not an atmosphere of faith. So he takes his three, his three top disciples. And in verse 38, he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and he saw atonement. And he, those who wept and walked and, and wailed loudly. Who are these people? It's a atonement of people weeping and wailing loudly. Why Jewish culture, even the poorest dad, had to hire at least two uh, wailers with a flute. This was Jewish expectation in their social law, that even if you were poor, you were expected to hire mourners that would come and that would just make a lot of noise and wail. And if you've seen on TV, and it's in the Middle East, The unbelievable emotional uh, outcry when someone dies. And this was going on at his house. It shows us that these people were already there at the house. It it tells us that there were some people in Jairus' family that understood that the daughter's going to pass soon and we better hire the whalers. We better get the funeral session. We get the funeral arrangement together. And so they're already at the house wailing, and it was just a big, I mean, if you, I've, been at, uh, I've been at some funerals overseas where this is going on, where people are just throwing themselves on the coffin, and it's just such a, it's like, oh my gosh, this is unbelievable. And this is happening, and Jesus sees this, and he says, and he has something really interesting to say. He says in verse 39, he comes into the house, and he says to them, why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. What does he mean by that? The child's not dead, <clears throat> but he's only sleeping. Very often in the Bible, sleep is referred to death. You know, when you're asleep, you're not really that conscious. You're resting. You're in a peaceful state, hopefully, if you sleep well. And this is what death is for the believer. Death for the believer, is it is a restful state. It's a place of rest, and it's... And this is what this girl was doing. She was resting in the imminent plan of God. The child is not dead, but sleeping. In verse 40, And they ridiculed him, ridiculed him. And it says here in another, in another translation, I think it was another um, Luke chapter 8, where this is also happening. It says that they laughed him to scorn. They ridiculed him. Now, imagine the scene, okay? We've all been there with our families. We're at a big family gathering, and then you say something from God's divine viewpoint, and everybody's like, what? (laughs) What are you saying? That's outrageous. How can you say that? That's so... Where planet are you from? And they ridicule you you to scorn. You know what I'm talking about? The family's in the house. The daughter just died. Everybody's wailing, and it's just such a crazy uh, emotional... Atmosphere, and Jesus walks in with a statement of faith why? because Jesus is Jesus and he can say this and so he says this and everyone laughs him to scorn I love this scene because, and this is why he only took three of his disciples because he needed men around him that were not going to be um, uh, questioning what he was saying and what was he was doing I think men of God need men around them that are like Peter, James and John because sometimes pastors don't make it because they don't have good men around them and they don't have friends that are going to say, you know what, you're going to make it. God's going to take you through this because you know what you're going to notice about pastors and I'm sure you've noticed with me, that we're, we're human beings and the more you get to know us, the more human being that you see. <laughs> That's okay, you know, because there's something different about, I think, is that a, a pastor has a gift to minister to the body. And you're going to see two things with a pastor. You're going to see the human being side, just ask the wives. And then you're going to see the other side, which is, wow, you know what? This guy is anointed to serve, and he's got gifts, and he's so edifying to be around. And so Jesus had his disciples with him because of this reason. And so, they, so he had put them all aside. He took the father and the mother of the child, and those were with him. So he goes into the room, into the bedroom. I imagine that the, the girl is laying on her bed in her little bedroom. I don't know if they had little bedrooms for kids, you know, like, you know, your bedrooms for kids, like the room, how it looks, the bed, and all the toys and the little pictures and things like that, toys all over the floor. And they walk in, it's Jesus, Peter, James, and John, mom and dad, okay? Six people walk in, and then she's the seventh, she's so on the bed. And they walk in, and they entered into where the child was laying. And he took the child by the hand, and I want to stop there for a minute, It was unlawful for a Jew to touch the physical body of a dead person. I met a Jewish, an Orthodox Jewish person in the plane, and we talked a little bit. I went to shake their hand, and they said, I'm sorry, I can't shake your hand. I said, why? Because you're a Gentile. I said, oh, okay. Thanks. And I'm saved. (laughs) And this is what happened here, that by law, Jesus, a rabbi, a teacher, the master, was not supposed to touch a dead body, but he goes and takes her by the hands. He takes her by the hand, and he said to her, Talitha kumai. Now, why why did the translators put these two words in here that mean in the Aramaic, which says, um, uh, little girl, I say to you, arise. Why do they put these words in there? Why trouble us with the original Aramaic? And this is why I think it is is that when Jesus said these words to that dead child with, his, with her hand in his hand, he said to her, Talitha kumai. And I think that the, when Mark heard that, when, when Peter heard that, because Mark wasn't here, Peter was here, when he heard those words, they must have been so powerful and so endearing and so precious and so loving. One commentator says that these were maybe the words that the mother would say to the daughter every morning when she was waking her up, little daughter, arise, wake up. I say to you, arise. And see, Jesus says this to her, little daughter, little little child, little girl. I say to you, arise. It's like in our in in English language, <clears throat> sometimes we use phrases in other languages to say something because the other language says it a bit in a better way. For example, like "c'est la vie," right? It's French for such as life we don't say that in english we just say say la vie or maybe we say you know something else and in, in another language because it sounds so powerful in another language and that other language does such a good job describing it <laughs> jesus <laughs> jesus says capiche jesus says jesus says <clears throat> talitha kumi arise little daughter a little girl I say to you arise in verse 42 immediately the girl arose and walked for she was 12 years of age and they were and I love these words and they were overcome with amazement and the King James says they were they Astonished. were astounded with astonishment and the Greek language is even better it says that they were ecstasis um, <coughs> um, ecstasis which means I think that's the correct in the Greek which means that they were out of their minds they were, they were out of their minds with just, um, it's, and I guess there's no way to say it in the English language. They were just out of their minds, out of their minds. It was They were just moved out of their, they were so astonished at what God had done. Because Jesus Christ, and I'm going to close with this, Jesus Christ very much wants to do miracles for dads. I think what is in our hearts is dads. And you know, if you're a dad today, you're not a dad by mistake, <clears throat> One woman said to me in Poland years ago, she goes, I don't know if I'm the best mother for my daughter. I said, You know what? If there's a if there was a better mother out there for your daughter, God would have given her to your daughter. You are the dad, you're dad because and you're you're the husband of your wife because there's there's nobody else better. God felt that you were the best and he's empowered you to be the best. And I just want us to be encouraged as dads today that Sometimes it looks like the plan of God is delaying. There's some hesitation. But be looking for the woman with the issue of blood. Look be, be looking for that event that's happening along the way that's going to build you up in faith so that when you get to your daughter's, when you get to your daughter's house and you find that she's gone, that you're going to know that you walked with Jesus and along the way there was edification that gave you capacity for that trauma that was facing you. God is really in the business of loving our dads. I think dads are facing a lot of hardship today. Pray for our dads. Pray for your dad. Pray for your father. Give him a call today. Tell him how much he means to you. And really just build up your dad because you only have one dad. And if he's already gone, then maybe you have a spiritual father that you can give him a call. Say, you know what? I just want to build you up. Because you have the heart of God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.